Thanks for listening to the Phobic Flyer Who Learned to Fly's Real Pilot Answer Series with Andy Clark and Peter Cox. Tonight's episode is Real Pilot Answers Part 3, including There are no pilots and we're about to land. I started learning to fly in 2013 and it took me seven and a half years to get my PPR license due to a debilitating fear of flying. I created this channel to show some of my training and what's next for my flying hobby and to prove that it is possible to overcome a phobia. Welcome to the Phobic Flyer YouTube channel. Now this is, <laughs> I like this question uh, and don't be offended by it, okay? <laughs> Planes land themselves every time. So what do the pilots do and are they needed? No, no, not, clearly not. not. No, no, we are sat there to look out the window. Absolutely. And get paid for it. Exactly. Yes. Uh, again, another common misconception. Um, the amount of auto lands that are done is minimal. Okay. Uh, there's two reasons behind it, and yeah. it's not just because pilots like flying. <laughs> the aircraft has to be able to auto land. Yeah. Not all aircraft can. Okay. And the auto land system can be degraded. Yeah. It's under the MEL. So I can fly an aircraft that can't auto land. Yeah. And a lot of airlines won't even have auto land approval, even if the aircraft can. Okay. Because they don't need it. Yeah. So one, not all aircraft can do it. And then even if an aircraft can do it, not all runways are approved to do it or have the required equipment. Okay. So major airports, yes, you're going to find that Heathrow can do auto land in both directions on both runways. Yeah. Smaller airports, no. Bristol? Bristol has an auto land in one direction okay. and not in the other. Reason is it's geographical. For an auto land to work, the plane has to be able to count down continuously how high it is above the ground okay. using a radio system where it sends a signal down and bounces back. Yeah. Anyone who's flown into Bristol know that it's quite undulating ground. Yeah. It, an auto land's not possible because the plane doesn't know it's going down continuously because it comes up and down, up and down, up and down on the radio uh, altimeter. Interesting. Um, what about Cardiff? Cardiff, yes. Oh, okay. It has an auto land on one end, I believe. Yeah. Again, I'm not sure about the other. Okay. Um, Birmingham, where I operate from, yeah. can do an auto land in both directions now. But for a long time, it didn't have that facility okay. after all the roadworks around the south side of the airport. Oh, really? Because they made changes to the uh, instrument approach system. Oh, wow. So that is now back, but it wasn't for a long time. So even though the aircraft could do it, I may find that runway is not available to do it. Ah. And even if both are available... So Heathrow, yeah, they generally won't want to do it no. unless it's absolutely required. Reason being is it slows down the flow of traffic dramatically. Yeah, I can imagine. Because you have to protect a lot more of the airport because the radio signals that are used are delicate. Yeah. And if you have planes standing and taxiing off the runway in front of you, there's every possibility that the signal that gets to you is going to cause your plane to want to turn left when it really shouldn't. Uh, okay. So you have a much reduced rate of aircraft movement. Yeah. And because of that, the airports make less money okay. and the runway is less efficient and so they don't want to do it. Uh, fair enough. So we do them on occasion yeah. to upgrade the system. So if the aircraft has had work done on the components that are required for auto land, we will ask if we can do an auto land and the response will quite often be, it doesn't have protection, continue at your own risk. But we have to do it in very good visual condition. So if anything deviates, we immediately take control, okay. disconnect the automation and land manually as we would normally. Okay. How, how do you feel when you're when you are doing an auto land? Do, do you uh, do you feel any different or? Yes, it's, oh. it is uncomfortable. Okay, and you really need to trust in in the system. Oh right, I've done them many times in the sim, yeah. and I've done them a handful of times in reality. Okay, in reality, you are a lot more focused. Yeah, because obviously the sim, you know, you're just bouncing around six foot off the ground on hydraulics. Yeah, um, but the system is exactly the same. Yeah, um, doing it for real in fog going down and you know that you're getting closer and closer to the ground and you still can't see anything and you still can't see anything and it's reading out your heights in literally only hundreds of feet 
and then you suddenly see the lights for the runway, but the plane is is landing itself. Scary. It's it is, but it's also phenomenal to experience. I can imagine it is. Brilliant. Thank you, Peter. Uh, now this is a very interesting question, and I'm going to be very interested in the answer. Actually, is there a safest seat on a plane other than the very the, the ones at the front? Well, the ones at the front aren't the safest by a long way. Oh, really? No. <laughs> no. Um, it's a difficult question to answer because yes, there will be a safest seat statistically from every fatal accident. Yeah. But you don't know what accident you're potentially going to get into, so you wouldn't know what the safest seat to pick yeah. before you're in that incident. And if you knew you were going to be in an incident, don't get in it in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> probably the more sensible answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, statistically, towards the back of the aircraft is safer. Um, there's a sort of a, an old adage that we don't rev knowingly reverse into mountains. No. Um, but as far as safety goes, there was some people say the middle of the aircraft because it's the strongest. It's also where most of the fuel is. Yeah. So if you're in a situation which involves fire, that's a bad place to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, but towards the back is generally statistically the safest. However, regardless of where you're sitting on an airplane, I would always say the safest things you can possibly do is pay attention to the safety brief. Yeah. The cabin crew are giving you vital safety information. Also, find your two nearest exits and count the rows. Because in zero visibility, yeah. could you get to either exit? Don't just find your nearest one, because in a situation that may not be available. Yeah. So know where your two nearest exits are and how you would get there over how many rows it is to get there. Okay, that's good advice there. Thank you. Um, just on that other that point there, when you were saying about the, the um, different seats and the safety aspect of it, I, I tend to find if I sit... Uh, and I don't notice this so much now because I'm, you know, now I'm not hysterically crazy when I get on a plane anymore. Um, when I tend to sit behind the wing, I feel I can, I notice the uh, the, the feelings around more. It's, it is, yes. Yeah? yeah, the back of the aircraft is one, noisier because you're behind, behind the, the engine. engines. Yeah. And two, just because of the way aerodynamics work on a swept wing aircraft, which is what most airliners are, yeah. the back of the aircraft will move around a lot more than the front. Okay. So if you suffer from motion sickness or that is you, what is giving you a fear of flying, I would say try and sit as close to the front of the aircraft as possible. It is quieter, it's smoother, and you will be less susceptible to those, those feelings that are, yeah. are going to make you feel uncomfortable. Okay, thank you. Um, what are ATC slot delays? I've heard that actually mentioned before. And can pilots really make up delayed time in flight? Okay. First of all, ATC, for anyone who's not familiar with the uh, the acronym, it's air traffic control. We use slang for ATC all the time, but yeah, it's air traffic control. And a slot delay is a glorified way of saying you're in a virtual queue. Okay. So imagine that you are traveling a car on a motorway, lots and lots of vehicles all on the motorway, and for whatever reason, it then has a restriction yeah. and reduces the number of lanes. And all of a sudden, everyone's basically ends up stopped. Yeah. Roadworks. Exactly. <laughs> Can't do that in an airplane. No. Can't stop. Whatever we're doing, we're going there in a queue at 500 mile an hour. Yeah. Regardless. Um, but the restriction might be that an air traffic controller is sick. Okay. And therefore, the amount of aircraft that can fly through a governed part of airspace is reduced because they can't control those number of aircraft because each controller can only control so many aircraft. So what they will do, and I say they, it's Brussels. Yeah. Brussels is where Europe's air traffic control is managed through. Okay. And they're called Eurocontrol. And Eurocontrol will look at all the aircraft that want to route through that sector, and they will then put them all in a virtual queue. 
And what they want you to do is they will say, take off at such and such time. That's your air traffic slot or yeah. ATC slot because they know it will take you X number of minutes or hours and minutes to reach the restriction. And what they're doing is they're trying to govern everyone who's going through there so they arrive at lotted times so the capacity right. is managed. Yeah, It sounds very weird to say, say oh, I'm really sorry, but we're in a virtual queue when we're sat stationary at a gate. Yeah. Um, but it's a virtual queue. Yeah. And it's keeping us on the ground because we can't literally launch because they can't handle the aircraft in that airspace. Okay. There's a couple of things we can do whilst on the ground. Yeah. First thing we do is we get everyone on board. They probably would say, well, I'd rather sit in the terminal. I can go and look around the shops and whatever. Yeah. The queue changes. It's virtual and it's dynamic. So if someone ahead of you misses their slot for whatever reason, yeah. you steal it. Okay. Yeah. And we can put in what's referred to as a ready message. So you yeah. quite often hear pilots will say, we've submitted a ready message and we're just waiting to go. Yeah. What that basically says is they've sent a note to Eurocontrol, says, we're good to go. Everything is done. We're ready. If someone misses their slot or an opening becomes available, we'll take it. Okay. And again, that's a separate virtual queue with everyone who's got ready messages in. Yeah. So yes, you can jump other aircraft by doing that, which is why we will get you all on board. We apologise that you're going to be sat in the aircraft and going nowhere for an undefined amount of time whilst we deal with this. But if we're on, we may get to go sooner. Cool. So yes, we will do that. The other thing the airline can do is potentially look at rerouting us to avoid where that restriction is. Okay. So that might be that we can fly a different route, a different height, or a different speed. Yeah. But all of these will affect our fuel burn, which has a direct impact on the cost of operating that flight. Of course. Yeah. So we'll have uploaded the fuel that we require for our route given the slot. Yeah. If the company suddenly say we can reroute you, but it's going to add hundreds of miles onto your route, we may not have the fuel. Yeah. And we not, may not get a fuel truck back in a hurry. Fair enough. Because again, they are prioritizing around the aircraft that are coming in and going. Yeah. It, fueling aircraft is a very complex thing at airports yeah. because they go from aircraft to aircraft to aircraft at the time they are due to be going. And so they won't make it back to you. Okay. So we might take some extra fuel if we're already talking with the company and we know there's a bad slot just yep. to give us a little bit of flex. Um, but it's basically a ready message and hope that you can jump the queue. Cool. Um, once we're airborne, we could try flying faster. That will allow us to obviously cover more distance. Yeah. But if Eurocontrol saying halfway along your flight is where the restriction is, they're going to keep us pegged at the speed they want us yeah. until we get through the restriction. Yeah. So depending on where the restriction is, depends on whether you can fly faster or not. We can try asking very nicely for shortcuts. And air traffic will give you shortcuts as best they can but it depends on what else is around. And by a shortcut, you're only going to save a matter of a couple of minutes over yeah. a flight between, say, here and Cyprus. Okay. Um, flying faster could probably pull back maybe up to 10 minutes on that kind of length flight. Okay. Not much more. Okay. And on a short flight, and a short flight I would consider only a couple of hours, say somewhere from in the UK down to sort of the south of Spain, it's going to be a matter of minutes tops. Okay. So it's probably not even worth trying. And when you say Euro control, is that what you say? Yeah, Euro yeah. control. Does that, is that... The whole of Europe. So yes. do, do the individual countries not have their own individual? They have their own individual controllers, but yeah. the actual flow and logistics of aircraft in and out of all of those airspaces is controlled by a computer in Brussels. I did not know that. So when you are talking with air traffic control, they are looking after their specific sector. Yeah. And they are talking with the controllers on all either sides of their sectors as handing over at boundaries. Okay. But a controller who is controlling me in London airspace, he will know where I'm going. Oh, sorry, they will know where I'm going. But 
they won't have any control over the latter part of the flight because yeah. I could be anywhere over Europe yeah. and that's not their jurisdiction. Their jurisdiction is to get me from one side of their control zone to the other yeah. in the most efficient, safe way possible. Yeah. It's down to the people in Euro control in Brussels to manage the logistics of planning all of those planes across Europe without wow. causing too much of an issue. Blimey. And when you say sending a message, that isn't always an audio message. You don't always speak to ATC, do no, you? No, we don't. We have, a, we have a very glorified text messaging system yeah. that uh, looks like it's out the 1970s most of the time. Okay. Um, it's a system that allows us to send defined messages and they will send us instructions. So they will tell us to fly headings, they'll tell us to fly to waypoints, which are defined locations in the sky, and they will tell us to fly speeds. So you can then request a change. So you can request a, a shortcut to a different waypoint. You can request a change in height. So as you're flying along and you are burning the fuel, your optimum flight level will change. Yeah. And therefore, halfway along the route, you may suddenly go, oh, the engines have wound up and I don't understand why. It's because we're climbing. Okay. Because we've burnt the fuel, it's now more efficient to fly higher. Right, okay. Excellent. And and how do you know when you've got one of those messages? Did you get an audio sound? Or? It makes a, in, in the Boeing, it makes the bing bong noise. Does it? The, yes. The <laughs> Boeing obviously can provide one noise and it does <laughs> yeah. everything. Yeah. So yes, it's the same noise that when you push the call bell yeah. and are trying to attract a cabin crew member, it goes bing bong. It's exactly the same in the flight deck. Wow. So if there are cabin crew in the galley near the flight deck and we're getting lots of messages, they spend their entire life looking down the cabin to see who's trying to message in them and it's us oh, wow. getting messages from air traffic. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for watching. I hope we've answered some of your questions. There are more questions coming next week, so please like, subscribe, and if you have further questions, put them in the comments below.